0: Well, it's a great honour and uh, privilege to be here um, this morning. My name is uh, David Fife. I'm a minister of Wadden Road Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Cheltenham. Uh, it's a great privilege and honour because um, this is a very dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, through Stephen and Falco, um, slightly from a distance, we've followed your progress, admired your fortitude... Uh, In meeting outside, and um, uh, genuinely, um, your elders have been an example to our presbytery in their fortitude. And how they've moved forward undeterred in the task that God has given them. And I'm thankful for them. And I'm thankful for you and your concern for God's glory in continuing in that way, without a building, because you care for his honor and worship and prioritize that. So it's an honor for that reason, but also because I know Johnny and um, known him for well over 10 years now. Ali, his wife, and Bethan lived in the same house in Ross Street in Cambridge, and we've, we've lived parallel lives, basically. Um, we both married Ross Street girls. Uh, we've both been deacons at Cambridge Presbyterian Church. We both have four children. We both have two boys and two girls. We're both now going to be elders in the EPCW. And um, believe it or not, people would sometimes in Cambridge confuse us uh, because we look alike. And sometimes uh, people would thank Johnny for a, for a good sermon that must have been very occasional when actually it was me who had <laughs> preached. So um, it's a real delight to, to be here. And I'm going to read now from 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the letter of the Apostle Peter to those who were Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia in what we would now call Turkey. I'm going to read from chapter 4 and verse 12 through to verse 11 of chapter 5. And uh, just before we read it, I want you to notice we're going to focus on verses 1 to 4 of chapter 5, which exhorts elders in particular. But notice in verse 1 of chapter 5, so I exhort the elders among you. So he's speaking not just to the elders, he's speaking to the whole congregation. He's saying the elders among you. So this isn't just for Johnny and for the elders, it's for all of you to hear and so we're now going to hear god's word together from 1 peter chapter 4 verse 12 through to verse 11 of chapter 5 beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls... To a faithful creator while doing good. So, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And ever. Amen. Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. Some of them are being slandered, spoken falsely against, sometimes even in court. Some of them are being Treated unfairly by their employers, by their bosses at work, some of them even beaten. They're looked on as strange, as odd, because they don't join in with the pagan lifestyle of the world around them. And Peter describes it, doesn't he, in verse 12 of chapter 4 as a fiery trial. A fiery trial. And later, he speaks about Satan, the adversary, as a lion who is prowling around, who is roaring. And he connects that roaring and that prowling in verse 9 of chapter 5 to their suffering. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood. Throughout the world. It's happening to Christians everywhere. It's not just unique to these Christians. Because Christians are strangers in a strange land. Peter addresses them as exiles, as sojourners. And yet, under this intense pressure... They are called to live exemplary lives. Be holy as I am holy. Do not return evil for evil, but bless. They're called to submit to those in authority, even those who are unfair and unjust. In short... They're called to follow in Christ's footsteps. It is the highest calling. As a Christian here this morning, you have a high calling. You have the highest calling. How are they going to do this? How are they going to exercise this piety under pressure? Only by being armed with the truth. Of the gospel. It's only if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can live like this. It's only as you remember that you have been loved with an everlasting love from eternity, chosen before the foundation of the world, that you can live a life like this. Only as you know that you've been called as a holy nation to radiate the glory of God in the world, that you can live like this. That you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That you've been washed and cleansed. That you've been born again by the Spirit through the Word. That this suffering that you're facing is is purifying you. And is indeed a badge of honour that you belong to Jesus. And it's only knowing that one day Jesus Christ is coming back. Is coming back in glory. And that you will receive an inheritance which is imperishable, incorruptible, and does not fade away. It's then in light and in the strength of that truth that you can live exemplary lives in a hostile world. And Peter, through this letter, what he's been doing is he has been shepherding these flocks. That's what he's been doing. He's been feeding them the truth of God. As an apostle, but also as he describes in verse 1 of chapter 5, as a fellow elder. He has been eldering these people. He's been shepherding these people. And now he says, as a fellow elder, putting his arms round these other elders, he's saying, you need to shepherd. You need to follow. As I have followed Christ, you need to follow me. And we need to follow Christ together as we shepherd this flock that is among you. Elders play a central role in shepherding God's flock in the face of the roaring lion. Now, eldership is not a novel thing. It's not something that just comes up in the New Testament. It has ancient roots. Elders were leaders of God's people in the Old Testament from the time that they developed into a nation. When Moses goes to the people after the burning bush, where does he go? He goes to the elders of the people. They were involved in teaching the people. The burden of the teaching was on the priests and the Levites, but the elders had a role to play. They ruled over the people when um, in the book of Ruth... Uh, Boaz wants to deal with the matter of Naomi's land. He calls elders together. They rule and they judge and they make decisions. Eldership is God's way of leading his people in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what we're doing today is very, very significant. Very, very important. And it's wonderful because the Lord Jesus Christ is shepherding you. He's guiding you. He's leading you. And so I want us to think about this theme of eldership from verses 1 to 4 of 1 Peter 5. And I want to think about it under three headings. I want us to think about the role of the elder. Second, to think about the heart of the elder. What is the elder to be like? And third, to think about the reward of the elder. So let's think about these things. First of all, the role of the elder. And the picture we have here, isn't it, it, it is a common one. It's a beautiful one. It's of, of shepherd and sheep, or, or more precisely, a chief shepherd, an under-shepherd, or under-shepherds and sheep. Johnny is being ordained today as an under-shepherd of God's people. Now, I'm from Wales, so this is easier for me than maybe most of you. But think about sheep sheep. And shepherds for a moment. Shepherds need to do all kinds of things for sheep, don't they? They need to lead the sheep to the right place. They need to gather the sheep. They need to shear the sheep. They need to feed the sheep. They need to protect the sheep. They need to rescue wandering sheep. And as we think about this role of being an under-shepherd, I want to note four elements to this role. And it's important that you know this both for Johnny and for the rest of the congregation. First of all, it involves leading. Leading. Shepherd the flock of God, he says in verse 2, that is among you. Sheep need to be led. We all need to be led. We can't lead ourselves. We'll all go our own way. We need to be led. Now this would be especially the case for, for sheep in hotter climates. If you're in Wales... There is green grass everywhere. It's the most beautiful land in the world, of course. And because it's always raining, uh, it's just full of green grass. But if you're in a hot climate, then that's more scarce. And you need to take the sheep to places where they can feed. Johnny, you are called, along with Stephen and Falco, to go ahead of the sheep and to lead the sheep. To take initiative, to be active and not passive, to think, what is best for this people? How can I lead them into rich pastures and beside still waters? To respond to need, as the apostles did in Acts chapter 6, when there was a need with, with the Greek widows. They did something about it. You're called to lead. Second, you're called to feed. Though the main responsibility for teaching the people of God in the Old Covenant was within families, but also with the Levites and the priests, elders had a role to play. And you have a role to play in that teaching ministry here in this church. Stephen has the main role of teaching you. But the elders too have a role. They come and support in that role. It can happen in all sorts of Context, it happens ordinarily on the Lord's Day, like it's happening right now. It happens in the midweek Bible study. It might be in smaller groups. It might be one-to-one, coming alongside someone, reading the Bible or reading a book with someone. Jesus, the great shepherd, taught the crowds. He taught in the synagogues. He taught his disciples, small groups. He came alongside individuals. But he was always feeding. In Mark chapter 6, where we see the Lord Jesus seeing the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. And he brings them on the green grass in Mark chapter 6. What's the first thing he does? He teaches them. It's the first thing he does. He teaches them. Because we all need to be fed the word of God. This is our food, isn't it? It's our food. I love food. I love a Sunday lunch, especially. But this is even better than that. This is even more important than that. To be fed the nourishing food of God. And that means for you, Johnny, that you must be growing in knowledge and wisdom. You cannot teach what you have not been taught. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 3, Verse 15, the Lord promises something wonderful for his people. He says this, in the context of shepherds who have have been very neglectful and sinful. He says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 3.15, and that is what you are to do and then it also means thirdly watching you'll notice uh, what happens in verse 2 shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight it's the word we get we get the word bishop from this episcopos overseeing the word scope is to see telescope microscope you are to watch over you're to have a keen eye you're to be an observer How are the sheep doing? Are they looking thin? You can imagine a shepherd, can't you, looking at his sheep. Are they thin? Do they need more food? Are they too fat? Are they gorging on the word but not doing the word? Are they ill? Are they wandering? Are they drifting? It means you need to know the sheep. And it means. And I say this as a fellow elder, that, Johnny, you need to know everyone in this congregation. Every person, from the oldest to the youngest. The Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It means watching, leading, feeding, watching. Finally, it means protecting. Later on, as we've seen, Peter speaks of the devil prowling around in verse 8 of chapter 5 like a roaring lion. You remember King David was a shepherd, wasn't he? And what did he have to do? He had to protect the sheep from the bears and from the lions. Perhaps something of that is in Peter's mind. The devil uses all kinds of tactics. He uses temptation. He uses persecution. He uses accusation. He uses deception, false teaching. And he uses affliction. And in the context of 1 Peter, the suffering of God's people is the roar of the lion. And he's seeking, as he did with Job, he's seeking to tear this people away from Christ. Sheep wander and can become vulnerable. They can get into all sorts of scrapes. We have a, a couple in our church who like to go on boating holidays. Um, not, they're not extravagant, um, but they, they sometimes they go on a canal. They go with their extended family, would go on a canal boat down a canal. And one time this member of my congregation went with. He was going with his extended family. His brother was with him. And they were going along in this canal. And um, he saw something white in the water. And uh, they thought it must be some sort of birch. But as they got closer, they realized that um, it was a sheep in the canal. And it wasn't that deep, the canal. But that the sheep had got stuck in the canal. And so this uh, friend of mine, his name is Stephen, and... Uh, his brother, they got out of the side of the canal and they, they, they tugged on the sheep and they got the sheep out. And this sheep was like a sponge full of water. And uh, they saw that they, behind the hedge by them, there was, um, there was a field full of sheep. And the sheep must have just wandered and got in the canal. And they picked up the sheep, one, two, three, and tossed it over the hedge. And the sheep fell on the ground and then off He went. But sheep are like that. We're like that. Aren't we? Where would we be? If we hadn't been shepherded, we'd be like that sheep stuck in the canal. But the Lord has come alongside us and you too are to come alongside and to to pull the the sheep out of the ditch. To come alongside them. You're called to prayerfully and self-sacrificially protect the sheep from the wiles of the devil. So that's your role, and this is my longest point, you'll be glad to know. You are to lead, to feed, to watch, and protect the sheep. Second, let's consider the heart of the elder. The heart of the elder. And here we have three phrases that belong together. In the middle of verse 2 through to verse 3. You are to do this shepherding not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, we might think that what Peter is talking about here is the manner, the way in which you are to shepherd, and that's true, but I think it's deeper than that. I think he's actually getting to the heart of the shepherd. What is the shepherd really like? John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, says, In exhorting pastors to their duty, he points out especially three vices which are found to prevail much, even sloth, desire of gain, and lust of power. What Calvin is saying there, essentially, here are three idols that we need to tear away from the throne of our hearts. Sloth, desire of gain, And lust for power. This is talking about the heart of the elder. Sin that we're to deal with. And graces that we're to vivify. To to strengthen by the Holy Spirit. So let's just consider these three things briefly. First of all, you're not to exercise oversight under compulsion. But willingly. And this pair of words, interestingly, if you've got a Bible here. Do briefly turn back to... Philemon, it's exactly the same pair of words that the apostle Paul uses with Philemon. I'm just going to read verses eight and nine, and then verse fourteen. Paul says to Philemon, and some of you will know the story. Philemon is a man of some standing; he has slaves under him, uh, and one of those slaves was Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away, but then when he ran away, he, he bumped into Paul, and he was converted. He became a believer. And Paul sends Anesimus back. And Paul says to Philemon, don't take him as a slave, but take him as a brother. He's a brother now. And now he has to deal with this situation. Philemon's been wronged. And so he talks to Philemon and he says, accordingly, in verse 8, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. And the language there of appealing is the same as exhorting that Peter uses in verse 1 of chapter 5. And then in verse 14 he says, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. In other words, I want you to want this. I want you to desire this. There ought to be an inner readiness, an inner desire So that you're not constantly being cajoled to do the work of an elder. But that it comes from a love to Christ and for his people. Second, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And he's focusing now on a particular outward constraint, namely financial gain. Teachers of God's truth, both in the Old and New Testament, who laboured in this way, would be paid for their work, and rightly so. It's a biblical principle that, that ministers of the gospel should be paid for their work. But some would take advantage of this and they would teach the people what they wanted to hear and make more money out of it. And we even see that today, don't we? You tell the people what they want to hear and you get the money. He's saying that you're not to be like this. Now, Johnny won't be paid for being an elder. Falco is not paid for being an elder. Paul is not paid for being an elder. Chris is not paid for being an elder. I honour them. They voluntarily give their lives to this work. So how does this apply to Johnny? Well, Let me just mention two ways. Eldership will cost you. It may cost you financially to a degree. It may mean that you decide not to take a lucrative job for the sake of your family and the church. And it may be that at times you are tempted to feel bitter about that. To feel like you've lost out. So you need to guard your heart, knowing that the Lord is no man's debtor. And also eldership may well bring with it a degree of honour and respect. And sometimes that can spill over into to the wider world, maybe not in today's society, but there's a sense in which you are respected and honored. But your motivation for being an elder is not status. Not for what you can advance in yourself. But for the good of the flock. And that brings us, doesn't it, to the third thing. Not domineering, verse 3, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You are not to think that you are better than anyone else at Solihull Presbyterian Church. Our Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of his disciples. The most menial task. And he says, I've set you an example. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. How are you going to be able to do this? It's a tall order, isn't it? How are you going to be able to serve eagerly, willingly, contentedly, And humbly. And the only way, the only way you can do this, the only way any of us, any elders here can do this, is if we know the chief shepherd. If we know the loving, guiding hand of the chief shepherd. We ourselves need to be shepherded. Wasn't that Peter's testimony? Peter himself, who said, I will be with you, Lord Jesus. I will be with you, Lord Jesus. Confident in himself, wasn't he? I can do this. If you die, I will be with you. I will die with you. He fell. He fell. That would have scarred Peter. But the Lord Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I... Have prayed for you. That's the only way isn't it. The shepherding of the Lord Jesus. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ. Rises again he says to the women. Go and tell the disciples. And Peter. And Peter. And then when they fish together. When they're out fishing the Lord Jesus comes. And he says to Peter. Do you love me more than these? Yes I do. And He says feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Yes, I do. And then Jesus says, shepherd. That's the word he uses. the same word he uses here. Shepherd my lambs, my sheep. Do you love me? And then he says, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. And it's only in love to Christ, which has at its roots his love for us, his shepherding of us, his forgiveness towards us, that he's washed us of all those many, many sins that we don't even know about some of them. Only in the strength of his shepherding hand over you will you be able to shepherd God's flock. It's the only way I can shepherd. It's the only way Falco and Stephen and Paul and Chris can shepherd because we ourselves are being shepherded. And that brings us to the final thing, the reward of the elder. Because this shepherding does not just forgive us because we do wander and stray. It doesn't just forgive us. This shepherd doesn't just wash us clean. He doesn't just transform us and restore us. He gets us home. He leads us all the way home. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This shepherding extends to glory. We have a shepherd who's with us all the way. Who never leads us or forsakes us. And one day he will return. And when the chief shepherd appears. It's a dominant theme in 1 Peter. The glory that's to come. The glory that's to come. The glory that's to come. This suffering is just a tiny, it's a feather compared to the elephant of God's glory that's to come. It far outweighs it. This weighty glory, this incorruptible glory, a certain hope. Do you know, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is coming back. He will one day return. And he will come with a reward, There's a reward for you. And he describes it, doesn't he, as an unfading crown of... Of glory. An unfading crown of glory. It's unfading. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 4. He uses a very similar word. Almost identical. In chapter 1 verse 4. When he says we've been born again in verse 3. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled. And unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Unfading. Lasting. Everything in this world. Buildings. I know you want a building. But let me tell you. Buildings. They just crumble. You have to maintain buildings. Everything's fading. Energy is being lost in the world. It won't last forever. Even if it went on for years and years. Eventually it would run out. It's fading. It's crumbling. It's decaying. This is something unfading. Everything we do in this world, there is that tinge of sadness because it doesn't last. Here is something that lasts. Unfading. And it's a crown. Crown speaks of victory. Uh, Runners would get, if they won the race, would get a wreath. A wreath, a crown. Victory. You share in the victory of Christ, but also authority. You will have a place. To rule in Christ's kingdom. You will be a, a king amongst the kingdom of priests. We share in the rule and the reign of Christ. In, in Revelation chapter 4. The elders, the 24 elders, they have a crown. Because they share in the reign of Christ. But then they take off their crown. And they cast it before the throne. And worship and honor Christ. And then we're told it's a crown of Glory Maybe a crown which is glory, or maybe a glorious crown, but as we 've seen, this theme of glory that 's to come is is vital to what Peter is saying in verse one, he says, "So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. A witness there may be someone who has seen." The sufferings of Christ, but someone who also testifies to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. In verse 10, he talks about the eternal glory in Christ. Christ will come in glory. The glory of Jesus will see him, not as a, a baby in a manger, but we will see him as a glorious king. And he'll come with his glory with the angels in heaven. And heaven and earth will be joined. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. The home of righteousness. That will be our inheritance. There'll be no temple because the lamb will be the temple. The lamb and the Lord. And it will be glorious. Unfading. And we will share in that. Because the bride will share in it. It it makes me, I'm amazed. In Revelation 21... What is Revelation 21 about? It's about the Lord Jesus, but it's about Jerusalem. It's about the bride. What, what's, what's happening there? The Lord Jesus is getting his bride. He's saying, see my glory in the bride. My bride shares in my glory. We reign with Christ We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are made like Christ. With glorious bodies like Christ. With glorious characters like Christ. He in his grace. Enables us to share in that glory. This world. The things that we enjoy. They are just tiny foretastes of a glory. The good gifts from him are just tiny foretastes of the glory. That will come. And I wonder. Whether. Whether. At least in part, this is what is in Peter's mind. If you turn, and this is what we close with, with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Particularly thinking of Johnny as an elder. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. What does the Apostle Paul say to the Thessalonians whom he's been torn away from? He says to them, For what is our hope or joy? Or crown of boasting. Before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you. Are our glory and joy. One of your great delights will be that. Pray God all of the people here. Will be with you in glory. And you will have helped. Shepherd them. To share in the glory. And that will be part of your glory. And you will say, I did a bit of planting and a bit of watering. But it was God who gave the increase. And all glory goes to him. That's what we're looking forward to. Together being in glory. That's your reward. So press on. Shepherd the flock among you. As an overseer. Let's pray together. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the Apostle Peter. We thank you, Lord, that he was an elder who shepherded the flock here. These dear Christians spread throughout modern-day Turkey. We thank you that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today through these words. And he calls Johnny and he calls all the elders here to shepherd the flock to exercise oversight. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Oh, how we need it. But we thank you that you are ready to give, more ready to give than we are to receive. Lord, be with Johnny. Be, Lord, with his family. Be with Ali. Thank you for her. Thank you for his children, for Joel, for David, for Rachel, and for Anna. Lord, bless them richly. May they be a blessing. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we together will be in glory and we will be glorifying you for all that you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.